0: Good morning everyone. I invite you to turn in your uh, worship folders to our scripture for today. Uh, We're in the midst of a series on genuine or real spirituality as it is uh, uh, portrayed to us and described to us by the Bible. One of the, one of the very big things for your health, for your spiritual, emotional health, is really having self-knowledge, having self-awareness, understanding your own limitations, your, your weaknesses, your strengths, being able to live in a place uh, where you, ha- you know what your sweet spots are. And one of the things that I've found is, uh, is that I'm not really the great originator of ideas, but I'm an early adopter or a, a tweaker of ideas. My wife is the originator of about 100 ideas a day, sometimes at 2 in the morning. Uh, She she she's so creative in that way. But I'm more limited, and I can't just come up with these original things. But I love hearing original things and then applying them and adapting them. One of the things that I I found when I was a young pastor, and even just as a student, is I had to see how other people did things. I, I had to see how people I respected, people that I looked up to, How did they go through the trials of life? How did they go through the suffering of life? How did they make the sacrifices necessary to become the people that they wanted to become? And so I've always found that either biographies or really studying the people of the Bible gives me a template for understanding how do you become effective? How do you make an impact? How do you get through this thing and not just survive but thrive? So I've been taking you these last few weeks through some of the key figures. Jacob, amazing figure in the scriptures. Moses, the most impactful prophet of the Old Testament. Hannah, we saw last week that you really don't understand Jesus until you see the women in the Old Testament who were the forerunners of Jesus. In many ways, the forerunners who were men... We're more forerunners of his kingly side or the coming king. It's the women in the scripture who show us the suffering servant and what it is to truly, truly sacrifice for the sake of others. And it's powerful when you look at that. Well, today we're going to look at somebody that some of you have never heard of. If you look at uh, the title of this psalm, Psalm 88, you look at the title and the one who writes it, his name is Haman. But if you grew up with cartoons, you could say he's He-Man, the master of the universe. (laughs) Because that's how it's spelled. It's spelled like He-Man. And so we're going to look at his psalm. And I'm going to ask you as we read it out loud together, because I like it when you read God's word out loud with me. As we read it out loud together, I'd like you to see how strange and how unusual this psalm is. So let's read God's word together. Psalm 88 couple of the first couple of verses then 6 through 18 together lord god of my salvation i cry out before you day and night may my prayer reach your presence listen to my cry you have put me in the lowest part of the pit in the darkest places in the depths your wrath weighs heavily on me you have overwhelmed me with all your waves selah You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. Spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Selah, will your faithful love be declared in the grave? your faithfulness in abaddon will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion but i call to you for help lord in the morning my prayer meets you lord why do you reject me why do you hide your face from me from my youth i have been afflicted and near death i suffer your horrors i am desperate your wrath sweeps over me Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. Do you see how different that psalm is? Now, generally speaking, all of the psalms are prayers. They're put to music. They're generally an ask that takes place for rescue, for relief. And because it is poetry, because it is put to music, generally speaking, it has similar characteristics to music. There is a large portion of the Psalms that are that are expressions of grief. They are laments. But even in most of the laments, you have kind of a building of the tension. You have a statement of... Of the glory of God, and then you have a statement of the tension and friction that the individual or the group of people are experiencing in their life, and then, like music, uh, when the tension and the, uh, the the conflict is there, then usually there's a chord or there's a there's a, uh, a kind of an interlude or something that that resolves the tension, and you begin to say, "Oh whoo, okay, God rescued me, he saved me but this this psalm and one other psalm are the only psalms that end with no resolution. They end in tension. In Hebrew, the last word in this psalm is darkness. Darkness is the last word. So think about this with me. In this psalm, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, is left in the Bible by the Holy Spirit, Yeah, the pain in this shouts, but there's lessons here. There's lessons that whisper the grace of God. So let me kind of get you thinking about it in this way. Number one, this is a psalm that says that even if you love God, even if you worship God, this was this guy, Haman, was the head worship pastor of the temple. Even if you worship God, even if you are called to minister to the presence of God like he was. Darkness can last a lot longer than you think. Yep. And you have to be prepared for it. You, and we're going to look at that. And then secondly, even in the midst of the shouting of the pain of your circumstances, the grace of God whispers and you can see his grace if you will look. You cannot look if you stay shouting. You cannot see it. And then that in this psalm, there is a, there's a question uh, that's being asked of you and of me that you may not like the question and you may not want to answer it. But in the of God, providence of God, you are here today. By invitation of the Holy Spirit, you are here today. There is something on your life, there's something about you that God believes that he can, he can transform you into greatness. That he can take whatever is your past and whatever are your failures and whatever are your limitations or your weaknesses. And even if you've never thought, I don't want to be great, I just want to survive. There's a reason you're here today. And and part of that is because God sees something in you that he wants to bring out of the greatness of the woman of God, the man of God, that he can make you and make of you. Let's look at these three things together. Times of darkness can last a long time, so what we see in this this psalm it's important that you get that not only is he experiencing outside darkness, in other words, his whole uh, his whole experience of life at this point is dark. it is difficult. it is a trial, it is tribulation. The problem is that the same outside darkness that he's experiencing is reflected in interior darkness as well. His outside and his inside are one. He's as dark on the inside as he is on the outside. We don't know what the trouble is here, but what we do know is that his closest friends and and neighbors and family have all deserted him. So he's all alone in his darkness. Now, one of the great things about the Psalms is normally it doesn't tell you the specific Issues that the people are are experiencing, so that as you're experiencing your issues, the principles stay the same. It's very much the case, I think, here that this is a health issue. When he says I, I can't go out and I, I, no one can come in, and I can't go out, is something that has shut him in physically. He is unable to do what he had done in the past. See. He says in the opening of the the psalm, he says, I trust in God as my Savior. But it's only a proclamation because in his heart he has no sense of God or God's presence in his life, his love. He's living in the midst of outer darkness with a very real sense of inner darkness. Some people who have been in church a lot of their lives will say, if they're honest, that their pain is more real to them than Jesus. That their difficulties are more real to them than Jesus. When you say that, or when you experience that, what you are experiencing is that the outer darkness is now inner darkness. You cannot overcome outer darkness without overcoming the inner darkness. (laughs) I'll give you a quick example of that. People come to me and say and, and are all anxious about something. Okay, and they'll say, I'm so afraid this is going to happen and that you know, I'm just certain this is going to happen and this bad thing's going to happen and all that. And then none of it happens and guess what? The emotion doesn't go away. See, the inner darkness has now overcome the outer darkness so that the inner darkness seems permanent. You have to overcome the inner darkness. And you don't overcome the inner darkness by changing the outer darkness. See, at the heart of this psalm, there's a a tough message that a lot of us as Christians do not want to hear. And that is that even though you pray and even though you do the right things, you can still have long periods of darkness. Really and truly, one of the issues that trips us up is that our expectations of how life should be if I follow Christ are really pretty messed up at times. True. There's some sense that many of us who sacrifice or serve, who give a lot, we think that we're going to get a return of protection. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, for three years going to the battle areas of, uh, of Uganda, up in the areas where the invisible children were and where the Joseph Coney and all the IRA rebels were going up there and just feeling invincible because I'm doing the Lord's work, you know, and just feeling so invincible. And we saw these amazing, amazing things happen while we were up there. But my last trip up there where we had some of the greatest breakthroughs I've ever seen in my life, my last trip up there, a little tiny thing bit me and left in me a deposit Called malaria. Now, if I had said to myself, which I'm telling you, I was tempted to say, God, how could you let this happen to me? I'm serving you. I'm doing your work. No one else wants to come here. I want to be here. And I still almost die from malaria. You see, if there's an expectation that you or I have that if I do this, God will do that. Then you're going to think I'm disappointed with God. And the inner darkness will overwhelm the outer darkness. Now, there's a, there's a scholar that I've always loved. I met him when I was in college. He was a, a Dr. Martin Marty. He, he was a, a, a professor of church history and of theology at the University of Chicago Divinity School. One of the most impressive men that I ever met. And he, he did a commentary on this psalm and on the psalms in general. But he had this experience that as his wife and he got older, she got cancer. She had a terminal illness. There was no cure for it. And he established a routine with her. And I want to read you a little bit about what happened. I'd get up with her at midnight when she took her medication. And we would read the Psalms. I would read the even Psalms. And she would read the odd Psalms. I skipped Psalm 88 and she caught me. She said, who do you think you are to skip that? If you don't pray the rough ones, then the other ones don't mean anything. Marty had tried to skip Psalm 88 because he thought it would be agonizing for his wife, who knew she was dying, to hear the psalmist's cold description of God not being present with anyone in the grave, verses 10 through 12. However, she called him out on it and ultimately taught him that there is beauty in the stark realism and despair of this difficult piece of Scripture. One scholar said it this way. Over the years, Psalm 88 has unexpectedly become one of my favorite psalms. It's the one I turn to when I feel despair about situations I cannot change. The one I fall back on when God is impossibly far away. Psalm 88 In Martin Marty's words, a wintry landscape of unrelieved bleakness. Despite all the pain packed within the 19 verses of Psalm 88, there is, as Dr. Marty points out, an intrinsic value in the act of facing up honestly to the human condition. Whoever devises from the scriptures a philosophy in which everything turns out right has to begin with tearing out this page. This page, Psalm 88 of the volume. See, expectations control how you look at life. If your expectations are true and real, you'll be able to handle anything. But if your expectations are false and presumptuous, you will be blown away by the slightest thing. Let me give it to you in a simple simple way that I can understand. Is if somebody tells you about a room before you go into the room... What they tell you about the room will determine how you, how you uh, evaluate that room, how you criticize or how you like that room. For example, if somebody says to you, the room you're about to go into is the honeymoon suite. Think for a minute. What kind of pictures do you get? <laughs> I don't want to know, really. <laughs> but I want you to think about it. So, And then you go into the room and you go, that's no honeymoon suite. That doesn't measure up to what my expectations of the, of the honeymoon suite should be. But if before they take you into the same exact room and they say to you, this room is a prison cell, and you walk in, you go, that's pretty good. Maybe I could check into this, you know, three meals a day. I don't have to take care of my kids. You know, everything would be taken care of for me. Maybe I'll do this. It's all about expectations going in. In some ways, the naivete of Christians about the reality of life trips us up more than life itself. Because we want it to be the honeymoon suite. And it's not. Are you tracking with me? What this passage says... What it says is darkness can last a long time, even for the Christian. But it also says that these times of darkness, this experience of darkness, is never devoid of the presence of God's grace. Do you notice, in as we were saying this passage together, that he turns from God, you're my Savior, to saying, God, I hate you. God, I hate I'm going to put you on trial. God, I'm going to examine you. God, I'm going to prosecute you. And he goes so far as to even begin to say to God things that I've heard other people say. For example, when you allow the pain of the present to be your interpretation of your whole life, you say what he says. You've never been with me. Even when I was a youth, you were against me. You understand? It isn't that that's true. It's that when you allow your present pain, your present outer darkness to be your inner darkness that then interprets your life, you will interpret it in a way that keeps you from your comfort. See, the only one who can save you is now the one that you are playing games with. Listen, this is... this this psalm is a perfect description of undeveloped emotional age this is exactly what we do as children and yet maybe we sophisticate it, but we keep doing it what happens when i don't get my way i sulk what happens when i don't get my way i throw a temper tantrum what happens when i don't get my way i withhold from the person that i think you should be giving me what i want Even it doesn't matter how old you get in a marriage. There are still times when you get so upset that you say, you always do this. Well, they don't always. Come on. You never do that. Of course they don't. That's not true. But you see, when you get to that place of inner darkness, you don't want comfort. You want to hurt somebody. And the psalmist is trying to hurt God. He's trying to say, because you won't give me control, I won't give you anything. He even goes so far to say, I'd praise you if you're praiseworthy. Nobody's going to praise you when they're dead. And you're killing me. (laughs) One of the great scholars and commentators on Psalm is a man by the name of Derek Kidner. I've always loved his commentaries. He talks about how these two psalms, where there's no resolution, how they're so interesting because they reveal the grace of God like nothing else. Listen, in Psalm 39, it says, the sufferer says, turn away from me, God. In other words, the sufferer says, it's so bad, I don't want you. Get out of my face. Get away from me. And then in Psalm 88, he says, darkness is a better friend than you are, God. Now, it could be that he's talking about when he falls asleep at night, I know you and I kind of know this, don't we? That sometimes life is so stressful, and there's so little relief that the only time you feel any peace is when you're asleep. And even uh, a manifestation of depression is just the desire to lay in bed with covers over your head, and just not have any, be able to see or feel anything or do anything. So he says, Kidner says. Something is really revealed about God in these two psalms. This is intemperate, bitter, even blasphemous language. The very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding of us. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. See, Psalm 39, Psalm 88 this is the grace of God saying, I know how you feel when you're desperate. I know what you say when you're hurt. And why am I saying that? Because God could have left this out of the scriptures. God kept Psalm 88 in the Bible. Even though it's intemperate, even though it's bitter, even though it's somewhat blasphemous, God said, no, that that." that Psalm stays because God understands that this is how it feels and this is the language we use when we're desperate. It also says this, that even when you're angry and childish and bitter and intemperate, even in those moments, God is still your God. Grace is still the basis of relationship with him. It says this. He's not disappointed in you. He knew what he was getting into when he got into relationship with you. (laughs) I love this psalm more and more because in many ways I hate niceness. Because niceness is someone putting on a face and pretending like they're your friend. And pretending like it's okay. And pretending out of cordiality or politeness that we're intimates when really and truly, if you were to get them to say what they really thought about you, it would be very hurtful and very painful. It's one of the reasons why I absolutely love living in New York. (laughs) If somebody's mad at me, they tell me. If somebody doesn't like what I'm doing, they tell me. And they really don't mind if I yell back at them. <laughs> it is paradise on earth. <laughs> you see what this is saying is the rawness, the de- the depths of how life hits you unexpectedly, how you do get disappointed, how your expectations are often not met. God is still your God. When you are at the lowest point of your very self. Even if it feels like, like the psalmist said, you put me in the depths of the pit. He's still your God. And his grace is still for you. But it's when you begin to realize these things and you begin to say, okay. In these dark times that happen in our lives, when darkness is outside and it's trying to come inside into our personal lives, it's in these times that God really grows greatness in his people. Now, I really believe prophetically, I believe that you're here today because the Holy Spirit has singled you out. It's as if you are the only person in this room right now. And he has singled you out and he has extended a hand to you And he is saying to you, "It does not matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what you, you know, your failures were, or how great you were in the past. I want to take you where you've never been before and cannot get on your own. It isn't the. It is not in the easy times that you become great. It's in the dark times. See, think back to what we learned in the book of Job. Satan always believes that you're superficial." He always believes that there's a price that he can make you pay that you will curse God. He said to to God, Job loves you for what you do for him. You take that away and he will curse you. And God said, no, Job loves me for me. And Job proved that. Now, what Satan really believes is you're nothing but a mercenary that you're just in it for what you can get out of it. And in in many ways, there's there's an interesting point here that we sometimes maybe forget, and that's this. God cannot tell you before the trial what the trial is going to accomplish or the trial would not accomplish it. For example, Job is one of the greatest men that has ever lived. For over 3,000 years, he has been inspiring people through suffering. But God couldn't say to Job, Job, you're going to go through this so that you will be a great man. Because then Job would have said, okay, I'll go through this so that I'll be a great man. And then Satan would have been right. You only do things because of what you get out of them. So God had to keep quiet and keep silent. And Job had to become a great man not knowing what he would become. I'm saying to you, whatever you're going through right now, Satan is on a leash. He can only do what God wants to accomplish in terms of digging a deep well of greatness in your soul. God will not allow him any more than what is necessary to dig that well so that God can fill that deep place and give you capacity for all the Spirit has for you. But you have to begin to say, in the depths of your soul, I really do want to be great for the kingdom of God. And it is easy, if, it is simple in a sense, if you'll just think through this with me. You may never be as powerful as Job. You may never be as great as Job. But you absolutely, you absolutely are pivotal for all the people in your life. And... God has promised in his word that for whatever shame you've experienced in your life, whatever embarrassment or disappointment in Isaiah, he says, I will give to you a double portion for your shame. But there has to be a resolution on your part. I'll go through this. I'll stay in it, though I may be angry, though I may be hurt, though I may be disappointed. I'm staying right where I am. Look at this with me for a minute. God is always asking this question in the midst of the darkness. Did you get into this relationship with me to serve me? Or did you get into this relationship with me so that I will serve you? And then, see, when he seems to be saying no to all of your prayers, and life isn't going the way you expect it to go, then you could actually look and say, Lord, it seems like you are not serving me right now. My body is broken. My friendships are broken. My relationships are broken. My finances are broken. My possibilities seem well, very limited. And it's in those moments of outer darkness that you stand up and say, I will stay. I will stay firm. I will not be moved. I will not be changed. Or you can, you can even look in a sense and Maybe in a sense this is the lowest response to it, but it's still a viable response. The psalmist said this way, way, he says, I don't like you, God. I'm really mad at you, but I'm not going anywhere. You see, when you say I'm not going anywhere, even though it hurts, that is a great defeat of Satan. And when you defeat Satan in your inner world, when the inner darkness is expelled then something wonderful happens. Something great happens. See, you can spend the rest of your life getting explanations why your, your life doesn't work. My parents didn't do this. School didn't do that. I didn't have this. This didn't happen for me. You can have excuses and reasons for the rest of your life, and they will all be plausible. Or you can say, greatness is in my, within my grasp. And if greatness is in your grasp, what happens is your soul becomes undefeatable. I mean, I'm a nerd. I love Lord of the Rings. I, I love the books. I love to read them over and over again. Now, my favorite character in all of Lord of the Rings is this little hobbit by the name of Samwise Genji. Now, maybe I really love him because uh, Rudy played him in the movie or the Goonie guy played him in the movie, you know, and I love that guy. But I love Sam Gamgee, and there's a there 's a line that he says in the text of the book that 's not in the film and it 's really a powerful moment where they realize their mission is impossible it 's hopeless it 's not going to work they don 't have enough they don 't have enough power strength, whatever it is they just look and it 's just not going to happen and so Sam who 's this been this incredible figure throughout of stability and certainty and loyalty and faithfulness, he himself realizes it's not going to work. And he is filled with the temptation to just give up, to curl up in a ball and go to sleep and die. But this is what Tolkien writes. He says, even as hope died in Sam or seemed to die, it was turned to a new strength. Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim, as the will hardened in him, and he felt through all his limbs a thrill, as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. That is an undefeatable person. It is not because I'm, gonna, I'm so happy because everything's going to work out so well. No, look, he's faced, he's like, the consequences look dire. It doesn't look like it's going to work out like we want it to. But I'm not giving up. And I'm not giving in. And, And in a way, you say, I don't care about the consequences anymore. And something rises up in you. And a stillness comes into your soul. You understand, it is not... It is not a betrayal of God for you to have steel in your soul. It's a betrayal when you don't have it. When you have no resolution, you have no hope, and you keep giving up and you keep giving in, and you give all great reasons why you can't. You become the best you when you rise up and say, I don't know what the circumstances are going to end up. I don't know what the consequences are. But I'm going to stay in this place with my Savior. See, in the darkness, you're able to become a great heart. I mean, there are a lot of people that nothing bad has ever happened to them. Sometimes we wish we were them, but usually they just have a weak heart, a spoiled heart. You know, in nature, do you know how I. I see it, is anytime we have a storm around here, giant trees are uprooted so easily because they have such shallow roots. You see these giant, beautiful trees that are just toppled over by wind because they never had to go deep. In some ways, you can't really go high and sustain it till you've gone deep. Well, I wanted to add one piece to this. It's really easy to believe that when the darkness is so overwhelming outside of you, it's easy to begin to believe that that darkness is absolute and permanent. You know, the psalmist was wrong. He he made this statement. The only thing that is my friend is darkness, he says. So he's saying the darkness is absolute. The darkness is permanent. Now, remember I told you his name is Haman. And he was the worship leader in the temple. He was over a whole guild of worship leaders. What he didn't realize when he wrote this psalm is that he was becoming one of the greatest artists of all time. He and his guild wrote some of the most beautiful praise music and praise poetry that has ever been written. They could not have imagined. Haman could not have imagined that here in New York... In 2017, over 2,500 years later, we're still looking at his work. Come on, let your mind track with me on this. Do you, know what, do you know what Psalm Haman wrote? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. See, the darkness is never absolute. And the darkness is never permanent. And the darkness will always accomplish the purpose of God in your life. This man who didn't know how to become one of the greatest artists of all time became one of the greatest artists of all time. We will sing his songs until Jesus returns. But take it a step further. Look at these two psalms that don't resolve themselves. Psalm 39 says, turn your face from me. Psalm 88 says, "Darkness is my only friend." Who do you think these are talking about? Who do you think of when you see it? Isn't it Jesus on the cross who says, "My God, my God, why have you turned your face from me?" And isn't it in, in, in Matthew where it says, "Darkness began to cover the whole earth," began to cover the whole earth? Let me let me tell you what this means. It means that. Haman thought he was facing ultimate darkness. He was not. Jesus faced ultimate darkness. Jesus faced the face of God turning away from him because he who knew no sin became sin for you and me so that the face of God would never have to turn away from you even in the darkness of this world. And Jesus faced the darkness, absolute darkness, the ultimate darkness, and it was not able to keep him in the grave. One of the most interesting things in that passage where it says, when he died and the darkness covered the earth, it says, all the dead came out of their tomb. You see, the psalmist was, this psalmist was wrong. He said, who will praise you when you're dead? The dead all praise Jesus. Even at the, at the moment of his death, they were coming out of the tombs praising him. You and I, if we have embraced Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, and we, we, have, we have said, I will not live in inner darkness, but I will live in the light of His promises. He's made this promise because He has faced the darkness for you. You don't have to ever face any darkness alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It is never a case where you are abandoned. Darkness is not your friend. Jesus is your friend. I hear the music, so I have to finish quickly here. (laughs) Would you listen to me about just this this one distinction I want you to get, okay? There's a difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is anti-faith. Unbelief is anti-trust. Unbelief puts you in outer darkness and inner darkness at the same time. When you begin to believe he's not here, he does not care, I've lost him, this couldn't be happening to me if he loved me. When you do that and you begin to go into unbelief, you are separating yourself from the only one who has faced the darkness and turns it into light. But doubt is actually a shovel that digs deeper into your faith. That there are things that are happening that you don't understand. There are things that are happening that hurt. There are things that are happening that make you cry in desperation. Doubt can take you deeper because God can take the honesty. But I'm asking you today to put a distance between yourself and unbelief. To get away from this, I'm going to trust you if it goes my way. I'm going to trust you if it works out the way I think it ought to work out. I'm going to love you if I think you love me. You'll never go anywhere of any greatness, of any height, of any depth until you settle settled this issue. Here's where I stand. I'm going to stay here. I, I am angry. I am hurt. I am desperate. But you're the one I'm going to rest in. And then what will happen is he'll reveal even more of himself and your doubt will become greater trust greater faith because he never ever says don't question he never says don't ask don't probe there's nothing in god that's hidden the doors are open he can handle it how do i know that what other god would put psalm 88 in his bible Will you stand with me? I don't know if you notice this. I can't always tell what your responses on Sundays are. And some of you are new, so I really can't tell yet. But whether my words were eloquent today or whatever, my heart is in this psalm today. I, I tell you, I feel a very prophetic burden on this psalm. Because I, I don't think it's an accident that you're here when we're talking about greatness. I think there has to be something that rises up in you and says, I don't just want to survive, I want to thrive. And you know, I don't want to just get through and, and I, want to, I want to overcome. But in order for that to happen, you have to take Psalm 88 and the spirituality of psalm 88 seriously if you're allowing the outer darkness of this world to become the inner darkness of your personal private life you are defeated you're unstable you're double-minded you're tossed to and fro make a commitment today this this is what you can do this is why he gave you a will to say, Lord, sometimes I don't understand. Lord, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes I'm mad. Sometimes it doesn't live up to my expectations. But you didn't call me so that you could serve me. You called me so I can serve you. And I will serve you. And I will follow you. And when I have to just stand still, I'll stand still. But I'm not going anywhere. You see, thats it's not just all our words that defeat Satan. It's becoming immovable. It's becoming undefeatable. You can tell I feel this. Would you receive this? Would you just lift out your hands? You say these words with me I renounce unbelief. You're not my friend. You don't protect me. You don't make me deeper. You don't take me higher. I renounce you. Just let the spirit flow. I just sense a river coming from heaven. Many of you are maybe for the first time you realize it's okay to fight, it's okay to struggle, it's okay to doubt, but you got to close the door to unbelief. That God can handle your questions. He can handle what you don't understand. Even when you're bitter, He's still the God of grace. Even when you've pushed Him away like a child in temper tantrums and withdrawals and withholding, sulking, He's still a God of grace. But I see a picture of the future. I see some of you rising up to change the generations of your family. I see oaks of righteousness that are coming that will transform the very DNA of your family, that you will be the beginning of generations of righteousness, that you'll be, that where in the past it's been generation of curses, it's generation of failure, generation of moral failure, you, without regard for that right now, you are standing in your Savior. And you're saying, Lord, there's been darkness, but you are my light, and I will bring light. And the the cool thing about this is that's where the double portion comes. As Job was restored, he wasn't given back what he had. He was given double what he had. God loves to give the double portion. I see this. I see some of you becoming oaks of righteousness for your community, for for your family, for your business, for your school. Because some steel is rising up in your soul. Lord, we seal what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. We have, uh, yeah, praise the Lord. We have some of our leaders here. They love to pray with you. If there's something that's really you want to get, and just say, I need to pray about this. Come pray together. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.